0: Startup Stories DSM features conversations with entrepreneurs who share their stories of what worked and what failed on their entrepreneurial journey. Startup Stories is produced by the Greater Domain Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell, Executive Director of Entrepreneurial Initiatives at The Partnership. Hey, Ms. Peterson, welcome to Startup Stories. Your product focuses on the health of baby pigs. How did you find out about this problem?
1: I was actually at the... Uh the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center and uh, I think about two years ago yep and uh, I was I was there with uh, networking products we were doing failover for uh, wireless networks for cell networks right and another company there was trying to solve layover issues in uh, swine farrowing it's when the the sow actually lays on her piglets right and they uh, I got sort of a reputation as a like a problem solver And so, you know, they had some issues with their tech and they wanted my help. And I think I, I, I I think I realized that what the better solution to the problem would be to get in front of the issue. Sure. And so I, you know, I presented that to them and they just, they weren't interested in following that train. So,
0: right. Right. Yeah, Just kind of picked up the baton. Do you have any background raising hogs? You ever done it as a? Oh child? gosh, you grew up in Iowa.
1: Yeah, I had to carry. You know, like in a really horrible ways. We, we had a small, you know, okay. like old McDonald's farm.
0: Yep. Yep. <clears throat> well, being in Iowa, most of us have had that experience of being around the farms. So. Right, yeah. So how big an issue is this for the farmers? Because it's it's an interesting problem. Um, you don't want to see baby pigs die. But how big a problem is it from a monetary and number standpoint? Well, you know,
1: pre-weaning mortality, I just saw a number, it was like 24%, I think, of all hogs don't make it out of the uh, weaning process. 24%. One that was four. the number, yeah. So I mean it's pretty huge, you know. If you if you look at $40 uh market hog price, you know multiply that by um you know, uh how many hogs are lost and it it is over half a billion dollar or yeah half a trillion dollars or half a billion dollars a year half so. a
0: billion dollars a year mm-hmm. yeah cuz i mean hog production just in iowa alone is a huge huge business it's uh, like 3% of gdp yeah yeah <laughs> yeah when you're making up full percentage points of gdp here big mm-hmm. did you instantly know what you wanted to do to solve the problem did it become more of a research project i mean cuz i know i've yeah, known both. you for a while and some of this has evolved a little mm-hmm. bit but i read like 80 studies
1: you know i 80 yeah you read was, 80 studies i read everything i could from all you know, luckily ISU has a great A B department, you know, yep. uh, animal engineering. And I just combed through all the all the material I could get and, you know, it all pointed to this uh inefficient supplemental heating problem. And, you know, you look at what's out there it's all pretty arcane. I mean, you know the the technology they use is 140 years old. It's a light bulb, right? Yeah. It's okay, An efficient <laughs> light bulb.
0: Mr. Edison's invention. Yeah, yeah, yeah in the literally 1880s. Yeah. with a reflector yeah. under it. Yeah,
1: exactly. So you know, it, it
0: seemed like it could use a bit of updating, and <laughs> just yeah. a bit. Just, you know, it's it's interesting because there's another startup here in town, the Ag Space, that mm-hmm. their whole premise when they started was a problem that 80 years of science said could not be solved. They literally yeah. had. St- 80 years of studies saying, you can't do this. And they decided to, these gentlemen, who have a lot of experience in this industry, said, I don't believe it. And it turned out they could do it and okay. built an amazing new product. So it's always nice when somebody says, well, that, you don't have to do it that way. Uh, you
1: know, I just, honestly, I just think people have been tripping over this problem for, you know, decades. And, you know, I, it seems that there's kind of an incremental process and innovation in, you know, the, in the hog industry. And know, maybe it just took a, a person to kind of look at it, you know, with blue sky. and. and it took uh, an outsider I yeah, mean, in yeah, a lot maybe. of ways.
0: I think mm-hmm. so many of these great solutions get done by an outsider when That's some true. major inter- industry gets disrupted and everybody looks around 10 years later and says, why did we all see it? Well, they saw the problem, but it's just day, you know, too close. Yeah. Yeah. What amazed me, too, is I get to know more about what you're doing, is that uh, these light bulbs tend to burn buildings down.
1: Yeah. Um, millions of dollars a year in, in property damage and livestock lost. Yeah, because one building can have thousands of animals in it, and it turns into a. Fr- I mean, you know, they're ventilated, so they turn into uh, fire traps.
0: If oh, a fire they're starts. an because yeah. of, the, of the. They're fanning it's Like the a blower furnace. Right? Oh, jeez. Mm. So, when did you actually start Farpro, your company, to, to deal with this
1: issue? Uh, we had the concept back in I think 2016, and then uh, you know we, after a few, you know, false starts, I was trying to be not be the CEO for a while and that didn't really work and so, how did that work out yeah you know, it did not it did not <laughs> so you know then uh you know we, we made it to the accelerator and things kind of i'd say they we definitely got accelerated i think we're still feeling the acceleration
0: yeah so. well before we get to the accelerator i want to back up a little bit uh you're an economist by training yeah uh, so university of iowa
1: Hmm. Yeah. econometric analysis
0: how'd that help with Farpro? pro it helps
1: with life. Um, everyone should learn economics from kindergarten. It's like really the best. It's limited resources and you know unlimited demand. Really, so
0: I'm glad to hear you say that. My son's getting a degree in economics college, sure. so I'm glad to hear you say that. No, but
1: you know, really, it's it's more like uh, <clears throat> unless you understand a problem, both from the technological aspect and understanding how the market would receive it. I don't think you're going to get your product to market, so it it just helps in general.
0: You know, there was a study recently, a national-level study of failures in startups, and these are funded startups. Startups that got money, had enough to actually have a chance. And the number one reason for failure was product-market fit. Mm. They didn't understand how well or not well their product fit into the marketplace. And then they would, quote, unquote, run out of money because they were trying to redo the product to better fit the market. Uh, Rocket Referrals here in town actually started out by going and finding a problem. They didn't know what they wanted to build. And they said, well, let's go find a problem to solve, a better way to go at it. So Mm -hmm. you truly stumbled into the problem. Mm -hmm. You've got a bit of a design and engineering background, too, as I read a little bit about you. You've done a lot of product design work. Where did that come from? Um, I've always been sort of an inventor. I mean,
1: it also, you know, it's the economics of uh, living on a farm that wasn't really, you know, kind of a large scale farm. I mean, it's frustrating. A lot of kind of life and death animal decisions um, to make and making products actually from a very early age that helped Get me out of doing chores, I guess, really <laughs> what you could <laughs> call it.
0: Well, a, pr- a farm know? is a, a set of a thousand problems a day. There's sure. always something broke, and There's always yeah, and something there's, you know,
1: you need time, you know, you have to spread your time around in, in different ways. And
0: I think every farmer I ever met when I was mm-hmm. living, I don't know, was around our farm could weld mm could machine parts mm-hmm. I and mean, they were basically all craftsmen because they fixed most of their equipment this was a little bit in the older days when most of the fixing had to do with metal and not electronics but it was oh, yeah. truly um, uh, everybody had their shop yeah it's so. a good start you've been in the radio station business tell us about that
1: well i mean um i guess i bought a defunct radio station but it was for uh, data transmission and then um, i learned how to climb towers when i was uh i was doing this this networking company EchoCast. and so i got drafted into local radio in iowa city and so i'm a, a network engineer and a, a tower consultant you were trying to solve
0: a pretty big problem with that network company can you tell us a little bit about that
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, there's this balkanized uh, network infrastructure in Iowa. There's about 140 different independent telephone companies. Right. And they all have monopolies, you know, in their local markets. And what's happened is uh, rural prices for Internet and urban prices for Internet are very divergent in Iowa. And so a lot of people go without, you know, they just are left out of the digital economy. And my hometown of Mediapolis was one of those places and so my parents actually they could not afford um it was like 170 dollars for five megabit or yeah five megabit access that's something like that and they just they couldn't afford it yeah. so you know i saw an opportunity um i traded a farmer for the the grain elevator
0: to in, put the tower on yeah to put yeah, the tower on in Minneapolis. yeah
1: you know for future internet access yeah uh, ron stover was his name And I just, you know, I I provisioned a a circuit and kind of, you know, learned
0: how to do it and did it. And did you, so were you successful in getting the company up and going? And were you, oh, yeah, yeah. serving customers? Does it live on today? In spirit, actually, I had
1: to to mothball it because uh, I went back for uh, engineering. Actually, I went back to school for engineering Mm -hmm. after having discovered that I I had a passion for, uh, you know, radio, electromagnetic. Um, information transfer right and i was not able to do both i mean my network was an hour and a half away and i was the the everything so, you were everybody yeah. you were one
0: person average. exactly so, yeah that's really hard because you do have to make those hard calls mm-hmm. so did you stay in and get an engineering degree or what happened you know with
1: economics and engineering it was like nine years of undergrad and it was just it was like it was too much yeah. i mean i you know i I think I ran out of money, and so I pulled the ripcord after about seven and a half years. But you know, I was you know the last the last little bit of my engineering degree was just projects, and I was already doing the projects that I wanted yeah. to do. So
0: yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. So let's talk. You talked about the accelerator, the Iowa Agrotech accelerator, and you were in the first class at that facility. Yep. You know, How did you way. find it? I'm curious because it was a brand new thing. Yeah. So there's a guy named Jim Eiler. Yeah. Um,
1: who is a I think he's like a, a local. Out of West Des Moines, um, yep. does a little bit of um, angel investing. I think a lot, and, a, yep. lot? Okay. a lot, Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, Jim, if you're listening, you know, thanks again. He was actually on the uh, IEDA panel that reviewed our application for a proof of commercial relevance grant. And the first time we were denied, and I was I wasn't the CEO; I was actually the CTO. And uh, that ended up being a good thing because we we got. Uh, we got a lot of help from people who wanted to see us succeed. Uh, Jim included, and he referred us to the inaugural cohort of the accelerator and so, so we applied
0: so you got in um, Talk a little bit about the experience of the accelerator for those who haven't been through an accelerator. talk about I mean because you had some bumps along the road, but talk about those first few weeks.
1: well, I mean, it was intense, you know I mentor speed dating. Um, Describe
0: that for those who don't know.
1: Jeez. So I don't know if, if you know what speed dating is, you know, you sit down at a table for five minutes and you try to discover if this person is going to be your soulmate or something. And then the bell rings and you all, you know, switch chairs. It's kind of a, like a similar experience, but you know, you're also sort of pitching your company at the same time. And, i'd never really pitched before so the first day it was just like stepping all over myself and um i kind of wished i'd had that one to do over again but by day two i think i'd already met like 10 i don't i don't even know how many it was like one person every half hour yeah i think is is the pace yeah and so by the second day i'd, I'd had the you know the sort of two minute pitch down and then by you know, that's why week, they do I it to do you
0: because by the second day you got it down. Yeah. That's the whole reason they do it to you. I just feel bad for the, you know, the people
1: I, I dated on the first day. I don't think <laughs> it was a very good date. I was talking about like space, I think, you know, day yeah, one. Yeah, you
0: were. Yeah. You were talking about, I remember, because you were talking, talking about RF like, like, in space.
1: Know, I, oh, I just, I went to a rocket factory like the previous week and I was just, I was still in space. You yeah. were, I remember that.
0: Mm-hmm. It was interesting. So, so you got through mentor speed dating. Mm-hmm. You found some good mentors, but along the way you lost a partner. Yeah, a uh, couple.
1: Um, man, it was it was actually it was pretty intense. So uh, Hunter um, was uh, our COO, and actually, him and his father were my first two partners, Craig and, and Hunter. And then, uh, uh, you know, I, I was trying to I was trying to be the CTO. I didn't really want to be out front, so I. I let them kind of take the mantle, and they just didn't have the time or resources to, to dedicate. And I think, you know, that led to the departure.
0: Yeah, and I think most people don't understand the amount of time it takes. It-
1: and how different it is from, you know, just like a, a, a normal small business enterprise, you know. like uh, it's There's a, a little more dynamism, I think, and you have to be a little more adaptable, I think, with a young startup.
0: Especially when people are telling you, by the way, it's a full-time job to raise capital. By the way, it's a full-time job yeah. to develop your product. Yeah, it's like five full-time jobs. Yeah, it's five full-time yeah. jobs, and you've got one or two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yep. pretty much the rule. Um, so you had to step in and learn the CEO role. Yeah. Um, what, what 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 do you think that you really took away from that? What Now that you can look back, what was it that you still remember about having to go through that process?
1: Uh, you know, I, I was very reluctant. I mean the process is still ongoing. You know what I mean? I like, I I have to not, I have to drive by my lab sometimes, you know, wistfully on my way to another appointment. Um, just, you know, you have to, you have to build a company because it's not just you, it's your co-founders, it's your investors, it's, you know, you have to sublimate your, your desire to, you know, just stay in the lab and draw on the whiteboard. And
0: yeah, I think for anybody that's technical or creative, Either one, uh, mm-hmm. creative in general, whether it's technical, creative, art, creative, whatever. We love doing our creativity and the, the hard work of just running numbers and building financial models and figuring out bills of materials and how to re- cost reduce a part. Uh, it's not the most fun thing in the world. You know, it can be interesting, but it's not. There, the most is, fun thing. there
1: is an art to that also. I mean, There's. you know, if, if you think about being a creative person, I mean, you know, creating a company is an act of creation, mm-hmm. you know, so, it, you know, you can you can transfer a bit of that impulse you know, to being the CEO, but it's it's a
0: different plane. Yeah. yeah, well, I know a lot of people later in life will go back to being the CTO, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll get their business going. They'll find some else to run it that they like and trust, and sure. and roll it forward. Um, so you actually in the accelerator, you uh, tell me the kind of people you met as mentors. What what types of connections did you make? Because before the accelerator, you didn't have a lot of connections into the industry, if I remember right. No, I had
1: I had almost none. I mean, Chris actually was my connection in the industry. Chris is your partner. Chris, the, my co-founder, seated here. Uh, he uh, he lived in Washington, Iowa, or lives in Washington, Iowa. It's the number two pork producing county in the state. And there were a lot of independent, you know, sort of medium-sized producers there. So, you know, he was, he was already on board. But uh, yeah, you know, it, some of the mentors that we met that ended up being the best mentors were not Related to the the pork production industry. I mean, really? there were some good ones. You know, there weren't a lot. A lot of it was row crops and you know mm-hmm. field crops. But um, like Grinnell Mutual, for instance, an insurance company. Yeah, an insurance company that which, I think, which
0: is a bit of a reach when people say, "Why is an insurance company right. in the Ag Accelerator?" Yeah, you know, and and honestly, like
1: I, I tried to find something uncommon with all of the the mentors. Uh, so I, I do a little bit of research and, you know, start with a few questions that were related that I might be able to link back to, you know, animal agriculture. But uh, with Kurt and the people from Granella was, I think it was more about culture fit. Yep. You know, they had very good culture and, and I was learning how to be a CEO and I wanted to make that a part of. Uh, my company.
0: Well, in so. Grinnell, I think one of the reasons they do connect to it so well is that so many of their customers are in the ag business. Mm-hmm. They are one of the big insurers of yeah. ag in the Midwest. So it, yeah, yeah. it's it's not the they're not the producer of pork, but they're insuring a lot of people that are in right. the supply chain to that production process.
1: Definitely, there's a risk mitigation play there for them. So yeah.
0: So let's talk about your product. What is, tell me a little bit more about what your product does?
1: Uh, okay, so the product is a. Uh, it's called the Haven. It's like a, uh, sort of like an incubator for piglets. So it keeps them safe, warm and and happy during the first few days of life, which are the the most traumatic and stressful and dangerous. And, uh, it, it also will hopefully, uh, with a, a in a future iteration, track behavior and sort of monitor the the health of the piglets actively. So,
0: so, what, what type of uh, technology are you using to do that? Because you said you replaced a hundred and forty year old light bulb. Sure. Well, so it's just I assume simple. something newer than one hundred and forty years old.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we're still using uh, heating elements, but you know, we're also using uh, the geometry of the reflector to. So, with the with the light bulb, one of the main problems is that it's it's a gradient pattern. Mm-hmm. So, you get, a, you get a very hot spot in the center and a cold spot on the outside, and only about 20% of all the energy is usable by the piglets. So, you don't want to be the piglet in the middle? Oh, God, no. I mean, it's it can be like 180 degrees there, and that's... That's not going to work. Yeah, it's actually the cooking temperature of pork. Okay. It's, you know... The cooking
0: temperature. You have the, to get the it that hot. heater is the cooking... Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, right. that seems obvious.
1: Yeah, in order not to, you know get so on the um, outside is it mean, the opposite so the outside's super cold yeah the outside's just not usable it's i mean if they stay there then they get chilled and they can often die or they go back to the mother to try to stay warm and she's you know not in a position to really do much about yeah. avoiding them so when she lays down she can actually crush them
0: right because they're trying to stay warm mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. so our our product is a uh, It's what's called a microclimate. So we're separating the ambient environment from the local environment for the piglet and hoping to make that just a a healthier place in general. Raise happier pigs that become healthier pigs that, you know, produce more profit and um, also, you know, give better lives to the animals. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: So are you out in the field? Have you got any of these in place?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we have six right now. Um in uh, operation at uh, jwv pork in washington iowa and we're doing a serviceability pilot with those so we're we're trying different things we're you know modifying the the reflector and looking at different heat light assemblies and um the circuit board you know changing that after that we'll be starting a, a broader pilot hopefully around june that includes some of the larger pork producers in the united states
0: what are you learning so far can you can you share anything Sure,
1: well, um, so Chris actually just heard from the fairing manager, I think. Mm-hmm. she said that they seem to be much more comfortable, and they're actually becoming uh, like places where they'll foster the piglets because I, you know we think because the uh, the heat's more effective, so when there's a struggling piglet in another crate. Sometimes they'll take it and put it with a better mother or one with more teats. Okay. And um, they seem to be doing that with our product. So it's kind of throwing off our data a little bit, but it doesn't really matter. It's a service builder pilot. But
0: anecdotally, the data looks good so far. I mean, I know this Mm -hmm. isn't scientific at this point. Right. Yeah, there's no rigor. But, yeah, it looks very good, very promising. So will you be doing the rigor, the scientific rigor at some point? How how will that work?
1: Well, um, so we're actually meeting with – man, you know, I just don't know – If I can say...
0: Don't use the the names. Okay. okay. Just leave
1: the names out. So very large pork producers. We're meeting with them and going over protocols. um, They're going to be doing internal pilots as well as uh, external uh, demonstration pilots with us. And after three or four months, we hope to have enough data to, to assert the... The claims. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you start throwing those kinds of numbers around, and, you know, somebody that invests in companies, somebody comes in and says, there's a half a billion dollar savings to be had in the market. Right. I mean, it sounds great as an investor, but sometimes it sounds too good to be true. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like, okay, where's the science behind that? Because um, the you want a company that can do that that's that's the the holy grail of building a company but at the same time it's well, you got to prove it
1: yeah i want i want a product that works too right. you know yeah, <laughs> right. Wanna, right you know i want to make absolutely sure that it's doing what we say it can do
0: so speaking of product you're building a hardware product mm. yeah, that's have you ever done that before have you actually brought a hardware product to market
1: i've not brought a hardware product to market um, you know i've just i've developed you know some products but never brought it all the way to market
0: especially cuz you're going to be doing a lot of volume um, mm-hmm. so how many the average fair, is a farrowing house is that the way you say it yeah average farrowing house how many uh, how many systems would you need to put in a, a house like that
1: well you know the market is very uh, saturated so a lot of so farrowing room might have 48 uh, crates in it our product goes over two crates so we'd put you know 24 units in um, you know the average uh, sow barn might be i don't know several hundred to several thousand sows and they're yeah they're kind of uh, spread around the midwest iowa has a lot of the production but i you know i for the the demonstration pilot we're going to do i i think between 120 and 200 units that's a pretty rigorous pilot it should be i mean we'll have several months of data we'll have thousands of data points
0: right and when do you expect to be in production
1: hopefully later this year uh, so we're going to take what we learned from the demonstration pilot and we're going to make a, a production run and call that our beta and then you know we'll be we'll be producing hopefully a couple thousand units before the end of the year for sale
0: yeah congratulations on all that thank you so going to market let's talk a little bit about going into the market because it, i assume you're not going to go out and sell all these yourselves um what's the what's the plan on how you go to market
1: Oh, go to market. Well, you know, it's the market is very concentrated. So, I mean, if you look at, you know, um, the top 40 producers, they, they're responsible for two thirds of the market. So maybe you do go out and sell them yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and that's what we've been finding. You know, just marketing is more about having a conversation with a producer and asking them what they want from our product and, and working with them to develop that.
0: And I know you've been out talking to some of them. What's the reception been so far?
1: I'm happy to say, uh, universally positive, you know, really, I think the thing that we hear the most is that we're, we're not that we've solved a problem because of course we don't have a finished product, but that we are working on a real problem
0: and that we're on the right track. I've heard that some have expressed a a lot of interest in moving very quickly to put it mildly. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I, I had to
1: restrain myself from, um, making a, giant sale without having a product first.
0: Yeah, you know, that's hard to do when ago. somebody says, can you please build me many hundreds of oh, these God, Yeah, and have them tomorrow or next week or yeah, whatever it was. was, like six weeks or six something. weeks. Yeah. Good job. Not, good job saying oh, no on that. Chris one. was there with me and, and, um, he held me back. So yeah, I understand. Well, c- congratulations. That, that's pretty cool when somebody wants it that bad. So one last thing I want to talk about, and then maybe we'll take some questions from the audience today. Uh, what's it like taking capital? You're out uh, raising money, which is a, a different experience. What's that been like for you? Yeah, really scary. You know, I don't like it.
1: Yeah, good for <laughs> you. I don't like fundraising at all. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, probably my least favorite part of, of running the company. But, you know, because I I feel the responsibility of those investments very intense. Uh, you know that an investor is a business partner. You know, so you're, you know, you're out there. You're having conversations with people, um, getting to know them. You know, um, and that's great. But then when you know when it comes time to write a check, you know, there's always a moment of trepidation. You know, where you're, you know, I mean, I, like we've we've taken a convertible note, and you know, it was great. You know, I allowed myself five minutes to celebrate. I poured a little scotch. Good for you. Yeah. Five whole minutes. Five minutes. And then, uh, you know, I downed my scotch, and, you know, then it was, well, how do we do the rest, right? So... (laughs)
0: Well, I, as an investor, I can tell you that you're the kind that we want to invest in because most mm-hmm. of, not most, some people will take the money and just kind of blow the investor off. I'm glad you do uh. actually care a little bit about that investor and think about it because it is a business situation and we had a big event here in town called um, uh, Monetary yesterday and there were some mm-hmm. very well-known uh, VCs in the room, some of the biggest in the nation were sitting up there in this panel saying you may not want to take capital because once we are one of your owners of the business you will sell your business or you will go public mm-hmm. that's the way it works and you lose control sure and you need to know that going in and it is a hard decision so when you're picking those investors Picking the people you want to be oh, yeah. is a big deal.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people invest looking for the exit, right? You know, they enter looking for the exit, and you want to be on the same page, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, for the people out there that haven't done this, I mean, you don't buy stocks that you can't sell. Right. Right, You don't want to do that, and so there's got to be a way to get your money back at some point. Sure. And sir, so we're in it also to help. I mean, I think most people that are in this game are in it to help as well, but there is an exit that goes in there. Yeah. yeah, Well, let's open it up to the audience out here and see if anybody's got anything they want to ask. I will repeat your question for the sake of the podcast. Sure. So. Yeah, that's a great question. So in the development and research of the product, what of the partners did you work with? Sure. Well, uh, we found a really young engineering
1: company out of Iowa City called Nothsoar, and they helped us with their uh, circuit board, and they're still working on that. Um, there's also a design company out of Iowa City called OB Design, and that's is basically a... James, our CAD guru. So, you know, anything that we design, he actually makes it functional and useful. Um, oh, Vidito, Oh, geez. Yeah, I can't leave them out. <clears throat> so, uh, Vidito Inc. Out of Kyoto, Iowa. Uh, they were very early uh, partners for us. We We brought them a design. They actually told us that it probably wasn't any good. And uh, then we workshopped it with them, and and they have a metal fab place, and they actually made our, our very first proof of concept sort of pilot units out of uh, metal. And, I mean, yeah, they've just been stellar. So it's, it's important to, you know, build relationships with uh,
0: people. So, to kind of I the should have asked you this. So when you start producing in volume, are you going to build your own factory, or what are you going to do? God, I never really wanted to have a factory, you know. Like, I just
1: I didn't really see myself as the guy who was like, safety first and you know somebody runs over someone's foot with a forklift or something yeah, that's not I, good no but um you know we have uh, we're taking on a CFO a director of operations who's very keen on building things in factories and you know I I own a warehouse uh, you know where you know we can adapt that for manufacturing and I don't know you know we'll see where it goes if it makes sense we'll we'll do it Definitely, it would it would improve our margin.
0: Um, you think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the yeah. idea. No, but, By the time you get done with all the costs of a factory, it doesn't always work out that way. I've, yeah, I've yeah. been on both sides of that. And there's no perfect answer. So.
1: And, yeah, that's what I'm finding, too. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll just have to see where it goes. Yeah.
0: So, you came into the accelerator pretty much with an idea. Uh,
1: I mean, my idea, like, and actually, thank you to Mike. <laughs> so, this... Um, I think I was, <laughs> you had an think, interesting first two weeks. Right. So my first two weeks I was, I was thinking about space, you know, mm-hmm. you were in radio, and right. And, uh, I don't know. I think I was, I was kind of going off the rails. And so I can't, I was it. Curdy. Someone said, you need to talk with Mike and ask him what
0: he thinks. Yeah, we geeked out over we had about a we had a beer too and geeked out over a radio because it turns out I have a radio background. Yeah,
1: yeah, but I mean and it before, was fun. I enjoyed it. No, you that, really know what you're great. doing. I'm actually I'm actually talking about the first conversation when I went into your office and you, you oh that like, one stopped talking about space. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I did <get> that. <laughs> like, yes, like, let's do that. In fact, I said like, let's talk about space over a beer. Right. Time. Yeah, exactly. Like, supposed, like, yeah. let's
1: let's leave that for the you know yeah. tap room or whatever. And I, I appreciated that. I came out you know I had my head spun around a little bit and. I was like, okay, let's build this product, you know. So how far were
0: you when you came out of the Accelerator? So 100 days, right? 100-day process. Mm -hmm. Where were you? What did you have to show for it? Oh, God. I
1: mean, we had uh, re-established our company as a C-Corp. Hunter was gone. Craig had been gone. Uh, Chris was coming on board. And we were, you know, with that, actually the small investment that the Accelerator had made, we were able to start, uh looking at building the first pilot units and um getting legal in place ip i mean we went from kind of a napkin sketch with a good a good idea you Mm -hmm. know to to having a product that looks a lot like the one that we're doing right now and and actually just the contacts that we need to build the eventual uh Production product.
0: and I believe one of your uh, people I think saw was the original funder from outside. Yeah. You don't yes. have to do the names. That's, okay. some, that's not something yeah. for here, but no. So and you found some funding. Yes, found funding.
1: Found some people who were really, uh, really keen on and making investments and seeing our company grow. And you've actually filed some intellectual property on this that has a standing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and I, and you know we're uh, we're gonna file some more. I've I've actually just designed a way to to mix different um bands of light together in the same linear element i did that actually there was like a lull at the you just happened to do this yeah i just did i love inventors the raising capital seminar
0: I was, you did was it like while you yeah, okay this, like, so here's the admission of truth yeah. we're doing a raising capital seminar and they are not the most interesting meeting in the world so you figured this out while we're in the meeting well yeah it's you know I, just, your time. I had my pro i had my uh, compass and yeah my calculator so <laughs> i love it i love it yeah so, um, the IP, you've got a couple of things filed now, uh, just, we've got the IP for the, uh, for the Haven, for mm-hmm. the design
1: of the Haven. And, um, I, I haven't really talked to our lawyer about this, the other patentable, um, aspect, but
0: that should be, that should be done in a couple weeks. By the I way, on that list of full-time jobs, doing IP as a full-time job too. Yeah. Because it's what yeah. drives long-term value in a company. Mm-hmm. What are the barriers to get into the market? Because everybody's already got a solution to the problem, right? Well, they um, yeah, yeah, they
1: think they do. They, they think they do. I mean, they, they're using a you know, they're using heat lamps and heat mats. Um, so retrofitting it's a it's a very good question. Our our product is designed not to really need to be retrofitted. So it uses the infrastructure that's there already, like the divider wall between the two crates, and the same footprint as the heat mat. And so, it's just a matter of kind of putting it on that wall, clamping it down, plugging it in where the lamp would go, and then plugging the heat mat into that so that the controller controls the heat from both sources. And, you know, it shouldn't take more than, you know, 10 minutes or so to,
0: to install And this isn't a product where you have to do every unit. You don't have to completely change a building. You can do this in five crates or ten crates or multiples of two, six or twelve crates or
1: whatever. It's more – it's about as complicated as installing a heat mat, honestly. Okay. You know, so you have to, you know, pick up the wall and move the heat mat under and wire it in and all of that stuff. Our product is, you know, maybe slightly more complicated than that, less than – yeah. But, I mean, no no retrofitting. And barriers, I mean – I think anytime you have, I would just say a technological understanding um, barrier. So anytime you have a product that's been trusted for 140 years, you're going to run up against you know inertia. And I think I think demonstrating that your product is uh, actually going to be better for the the bottom line is kind of key to knocking that.
0: Well, one down. I, th- I think for anybody selling to farmers. No matter the type of farmer, the, yeah. the, the line number one is we've always done it this way. Yeah. And I've worked with a lot of ag tech startups and every one of them hears it, but we've always done it this way.
1: Yeah. You know, I've actually, I've started hearing from the larger producers, like the watchword is sustainability and things like that, you know, so. I That's mean,
0: refreshing. Yeah. It's It's changing what do you do to clean up because you have a a litter of pigs raised and then there mm-hmm. everything the barn gets emptied yep. cleaned out and then you come back in yeah, and start biosecurity. again yeah biosecurity biosecurity is a
1: huge issue mm-hmm. uh, obviously you don't want to uh have a disease you know from one cohort infecting the next cohort so cleanability is really important we i think since actually since Don and I um did the speed dating we locked on to uh, ultraviolet remediation. So, you know, there's... A, you may have to explain what ultraviolet remediation is. Sure. So, certain frequencies of ultraviolet radiation are not harmful, but that they do keep pathogen count low in an environment. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at those to actually to make that space more healthy. Interesting. And, and then to clean the product... We are, we're looking at uh, being able to sort of raise it up on end so that you can get to it. And also a disposable, like we're looking at kind of a disposable Tyvek tent for the curtains and also to keep it clean on the top. So you would just, um, you would take that and throw it away at the end. And that's another thing that we're we're looking at. It. It's a, during the serviceability pilot, we'll be exploring different options. Interesting. Mm -hmm. what tips can you give for raising capital oh man uh i think you might be asking the wrong guy i mean my tip like what i do i just i talk to people i try to be forthright i don't i try not to be too pitchy you know i'm not sure if that is what would work for most people i just try to find people that i want to be on the board like i would want them on the board you know um, i'd want them involved in maybe decision making or um as a strategic partner and then i just i try to develop relationships with them you know i i know a lot of people they go to pitch competitions and you know try to try to present themselves as the hot thing i actually try to get out of the way of my product i'm i'm like anti charismatic you know that's <laughs> that's, just, <laughs> that's what i try to do but i don't i don't know if i'm all that successful but Get oh, yeah. out of the way of the product. Right? Yeah. That would be my you know, advice.
0: I'll put my bad plug in. We do do a Raising Capital Seminar twice a year, and I know you've attended it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for anybody else one wants to raise capital, the video from that's available on our website. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're welcome to go out, uh, and we'll announce the website name at the end of the show. But um, you're welcome to go out and take a look at that. But the overview of how to raise angel capital is a seven-hour process. So it's mm-hmm. it's not easy. It is a full-time job. It's a lot of work, um, and uh, we we do this to try to help people get off on the right foot. You know what? I would
1: follow up. I think the I think that that answer was a little flip. I would say, following what Mike said definitely getting like documentation and like making the story match the raise. Right. So making your cash flow understandable in terms of, you know, why am I raising this? And, you know, when are we going to turn it around? And like he said, there's a lot of really good information uh, from that raising capital seminar on just that. But the pro forma is, is sort of really important to get down. Even if you don't show it to people, um, it's something that you'll be referring to and you'll keep in mind you know while you're doing the fundraise
0: yeah I think most people what I tell people is imagine you had ten million dollars in the bank but you you don't throw money away you're not the type of person who just throws money away what would you ask yourself what would you ask your son your daughter your brother your sister your mom whoever that you're going to give this to and what would you ask them to do uh, it's it actually becomes pretty obvious even though there's a real rigor to it um, but I can tell you that the number one thing I see when I'm looking at it as an angel investor is that the what's in the pitch deck doesn't match what's in the business plan, doesn't match what's in the marketing plan, and doesn't match what's in the financials. Um, you've got four trade shows in June, and there's no money in the budget to go to. It's kind of like, are you really thinking about this, or are you just telling me you need a half million dollars because it sounded good? Uh, and I think that's uh, you know the, the parent-child rule of how, what would you expect your child or your parents, a good one to follow, Uh, When you're thinking about what you need to do to go ask somebody for a a lot of money, Uh, it's it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Amos, thank you for joining us for Startup Stories. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by this startup story? Visit dsmpartnership.com slash business resources to find upcoming events, videos, and other free resources dedicated to helping startups and entrepreneurs accelerate success in DSM USA. That's dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. Thanks for listening.